Tonight, 20 peaceful racists march in the United States and 2,000 leftists riot in response. It's August 13th, and you're watching The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. You come here once a year with a sign, and you feel morally superior. The only thing I have to say to the government for why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Look at this video. It's a photographer with the Toronto Sun. Stan Bahal is his name. He was attacked by an Antifa leftist right in downtown Toronto on Saturday. Here, watch it again. I mean, it's obvious, but I'll say it. He wasn't a pick in a fight. He wasn't, he wasn't punching anyone. His hands were holding his camera. He was covering a demonstration, Antifa, which stands for anti-fascist. But of course, they're the fascists these days. They attacked him unprovoked. There were cameras everywhere, everywhere there, of course, it being the age of the smartphone. So the Antifa fascist, the anti-fascist fascist, um, there would be plenty of photos of him. And here is a photo that our friend Joe Warmington of The Sun, Stan's colleague, says was the guy who did the punching. Joe was right there. That's him. And uh, you can see our friend uh, Sue Ann Levy right there, too, right there when the punches happened. And, and can you see that there's no fewer than seven... Toronto police within like a few feet in arm's reach of the incident. They're the ones wearing the bike helmets. Did you see that? Not one of them lifted a finger. Not one. Not one of them moved. They all saw it. You can see they're looking at it. It was right in front of them. Stan is just a photographer. He's middle-aged. He wasn't provoking anyone. He wasn't arguing. He wasn't shouting. He wasn't cursing. He wasn't doing anything but standing there doing his job, taking pictures, which is what you do at a demonstration. He was doing nothing. And the police did nothing. And why is that? You know, there's a phenomenon, an internet, you know, inspired prank, where people see a live TV broadcast on the street, and they walk right up to the reporter, and they shout into the microphone on live TV, they say, F-U-C-K, her right in the P-U-S-S-Y. It's, it's bizarre. It's an urban phenomenon. It's an internet meme. It happens all the time across North America. And by the way, it happens both by men and women who do it and to both men and women reporters. It's rude. It's shocking. It's profane. It's disruptive. But it's not violent and it's not against the law. But in Canada, the media party is so upset when it happens to them that they go on the warpath. They literally demand the police arrest these swearing hecklers. And of course, in one famous case in Toronto, they got the guy fired uh, from his government job. He was later rehired. Now it's rude, sure, but what possible law does, does swearing violate? But the police get right on those and the media demands it, especially the CBC, because saying F her right in the P is obviously sexist. And sexism is pretty much the worst crime you can imagine, even if it's just a heckle. So that's the standard. So why the total lack of anything for Stan Bahal, the, the sun photographer, who was punched? Why the silence of the police and the silence of the rest of the media? The ones who circled the wagons for those poor CBC reporters who had to hear a swear word for the first time in their life. It's a swear word, not, not directed at the journalists, by the way, they're swearing in general. Is that worse than being punched in the face? I wouldn't think so.
but it's the Toronto Police, an increasingly political organization run by an increasingly political chief and political commissioner and political mayor. And let's be honest, the Toronto Sun is, to the fancy people, just one inch more respectable than the rabble. Yuck, the rabble. So if some left-wing activists in Antifa, really the paramilitary wing of Justin Trudeau's liberals, if Trudeau's street gangs punch a Toronto Sun reporter in the face, well, that's okay because the Toronto Sun was asking for it, right? I mean, on the day of Trump's inauguration in January 2017, Richard Spencer, the white nationalist racist, he was punched in the face on TV so hard it broke his eardrum. And the whole establishment cheered because he was a Nazi, they said. Well, he's not actually a Nazi, but he's a racist. And that's close enough. And Hollywood loved it. Here's some actor at some awards gala right after Trump was uh, inaugurated, right after Spencer was punched in the face. And this actor was just thrilled with this new street violence that he was seeing. Take a look. We will hunt monsters. And when we are at a loss amidst the hypocrisy and the casual violence of certain individuals and institutions, we will, as per Chief Jim Hopper, punch some people in the face when they seek to destroy the meat and the disenfranchised and the marginalized. Did you catch that? In 20 seconds, he went from railing against casual violence, did you hear him say that, casual violence, to telling his followers to punch some people in the face. Stupid actors, stick to reading someone else's lines that were written for you. But that's cool now. I mean, it's permission to do whatever's necessary against anyone, not just against racists like Richard Spencer, but even anyone who's Republican. That, that's about half the United States voted for Trump. And, and conservatives in Canada are about 40% of the population. But American-funded Antifa groups have colonized us up here, too. Remember this kook? She told people to attack their enemies wherever she found them. That's Maxine Waters, the kooky Democrat. And so they do. Here's a mob of white Antifa leftists. She said in restaurants and gas stations, here's a mob of white Antifa leftists attacking a black Republican named Candace Owens just in the past week. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy your capitalist breakfast. Filming? <laughs> <laughs> this is crazy. So, ready? Four, five, six! That's a violent mob, or at least shouting violent things. It was a bunch of white activists shouting at a black woman. I, I suppose they weren't violent, but they were shouting so badly at them, they drove her out of the restaurant. I guess that's what they did to Rosa Parks back in the day. She couldn't, she couldn't eat at the right lunch counter, sit in the right place in the, in the bus. But, but those white leftists there, pink hair, they think they're the righteous ones. I guess... The good news, look at it, glass half full. At least they didn't punch Candace Owen in the face. But I think they would have if they could have. And, and it's come to Canada now, Stan Bahal of the Toronto Sun. But before that, it was us here at the Rebel. You know that. I mean, like this thug, an NDP supporter, supporter of Rachel Notley, named Dion Buse. Remember this? As in the back. Wouldn't you say that it would be feminine? No, 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 I'm just asking a question. Do I see 
reasonable to you? Because they seem really pleasant. I think, am I coming across as pleasant right now, Bear? Yeah, absolutely. We're just trying to have a conversation here. I'm having, I try to have a conversation with you. Go away. Get out of my face. I will break your camera. You do not have the right to. He's a convicted criminal now about Dion Buse, but he's unrepentant. He still refuses to apologize to Sheila for assaulting and battering her. So many of our people have been attacked, especially the women who work for the rebel. But the fancy people don't care. Not only do they not care, I think they actually support it. In fact, just the other day, uh, a rival journalist at APTN, when he saw that Sheila Gunn-Reed was covering the anti-pipeline extremists in BC, he that guy there, he ran up to the hill to get the protesters, to get them all revved up against Sheila, and they stormed down to meet her. Luckily, we had security for her. Other people who went to the same site who didn't bring security, they were physically attacked, like this guy and his fiance. You'll remember we interviewed them on The Rebel about a couple of weeks ago. But why wouldn't they be attacked? I mean, those same protesters in Burnaby literally punch police. They attack police again and again, and, and they're given a slap on the, on the wrist. And, and what message does it send? when seven police watch a Toronto Sun photographer get punched and, and not one of them makes an arrest. So first it was the rebel, and then it was the Sun. Not a peep from Canadian journalists for freedom of expression or any of those fake free speech groups because they approve. They're at DEFCON 1 when someone heckles a reporter with the bad word pussy. Donald Trump says something mean to CNN. But actually punching a conservative Oh, they deserve it. They're probably just Nazis like the Richard Spencer, that black Republican Candace Owen. She's probably a Nazi. I tell you this because the white supremacists had another huge rally in the United States yesterday in the gorgeous college town of Charlottesville, Virginia, and in nearby Washington, D.C. too. It was on the anniversary of the big white racist protest a year ago. Remember that one? A couple hundred so-called white nationalists marched through Charlottesville, Virginia, carrying little tiki torches. It was a bit weird, the night march with the torches. It was reminiscent of a Klan rally, frankly, except they didn't burn crosses. It was a bit pagan, a little bit dramatic. It was racist, no doubt about it. Weird racist chants, obvious anti-black racism. Now, unlike Klan rallies of the past, though, they, uh, they didn't cover their faces. Maybe they should have. Maybe they had become too emboldened. Who knows? That didn't turn out well for many of them. Many were just fired from their jobs, those that even had jobs. So that was a year ago. But I will say this. That nighttime parade was, was peaceful. They even had a parade permit. Now, that wasn't the case the next day a year ago when hundreds of Antifa extremists showed up, no permit, many with weapons, to physically fight back against the racists. And in a terrible turn of events, a man in a car rammed into a group of leftist protesters, killing one woman. What an awful, bizarre ending to an awful, bizarre day. A young woman was killed that day, but I think the alt-right killed itself too. And by alt-right, I mean the racist incarnation of that phrase. I think in 2016, when the first, most people first heard the phrase alt-right, I think it meant any alternative conservative, as opposed to the Republican establishment. I think it meant that gay Jewish provocateur, Milo Yiannopoulos. I think it meant supporting Donald Trump instead of the establishment, Jeb Bush.
But by 2017, it became racist in its use. And on that day in Charlottesville, it just ended. So, so what was the big rally this year like? What was the big rally yesterday like? The official anniversary of the racist rally last year, the massive gathering. Well, here, take a look. That's it. They're, they're, they're surrounded by journalists. They're, they're flanked on all sides by police. There's about 20 people. If you look, surrounded by police in high visibility vests, surrounded by cameras, there's about 20 people. They were surely outnumbered. 100 to 120 people, that's it. That's the number of racists who showed up for the huge protests this year. There were at least 200 journalists there, at least, for 20 people. And the man in the center of it, this guy, Jason Kessler, can you imagine a schlep like him being able to command the entire national media's attention? By just getting 20 buddies to join him for the day, it's pitiful both ways that despite weeks of promotion by the mainstream media, CNN has been salivating about this racist rally for weeks. Kessler could only get 20 of his buddies to attend. And it's pitiful from the media's point of view. Why are they giving wall-to-wall -wall coverage of 20 racists? That's all it was. 20 guys who had to be protected by cops or they'd be torn to ribbons. Why were they given national, international coverage, even up here in Canada? Well, it's obvious why. It's their narrative. America is racist. Whites are racist. Trump is racist. 20 losers is enough to prove that narrative. It's not as powerful as that tiki torch night march last year, but close enough to do in a pinch. But like with the Toronto Antifa violence on Saturday against the Toronto Sun, Antifa came ready for violence yesterday, too. Now, most Antifa weren't violent, but plenty of them were, and all of them were whipped up on pure hatred. Uh, this gets right to it. Look at this poster here. It takes a bullet to bash the fash, as in the fascist. I, I think the Democrats and Canada's liberals need to figure out, are they for or against gun violence? Does it depend on who's doing the shooting? Bash the fash with a bullet. Uh, I'm all for protesting against racism, by the way, but this was really an anti-police march. Take a look at this chant. Are all police racist, really? Even the black police? Like, like these guys? What a freak. Thumbs up for the cops keeping their cool with a maniac. He looks like an alien. How about this? Look at this chant. No borders, no wall. No USA at all. No wall, no USA at all. No borders, no wall, no USA at all. No borders, no wall, no USA at all. Why wasn't that on the news last night? Is that message not just as radical as the Tiki Torch March message? And it was violent. It got very violent. Look at this. <laughs> Even when individual reporters for the mainstream media were attacked yesterday, like Stan Bahal was in Toronto on Saturday, 
the American mainstream media downplayed the attacks on their own people. Here, watch this ABC News reporter. Don't be shoving on people. What's wrong with you? Yeah, and get that out of my face. Hey, hey, hey. 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 Yo, link up around here. Link up around here. I got it. Come here. Come here. I'm on his side. Hi, guys. I'm on his side. That's man. Let me be clear, the ABC News reporter was filming the screeching attacks at him by a white gal and a white guy. The reporter himself is African-American, by the way. Those Antifa literally cut his gear. But ABC didn't highlight the violence, even though their own reporter was the target of it. And he's black and his attackers were white, but they're leftists. The whole thing's bizarre, even more so when you learn that the organizer of this whole schmozzle, that Jason Kessler guy, he was a Democrat who voted for Obama and he was part of Occupy Wall Street and his mom was a Hillary Clinton activist. What on earth is this whole thing? I'll tell you what it is. For a word from the left, it's... It's collusion between the Democrats in the United States and the liberals in Canada. They're collusion with violent street teams who are seeking to undermine our society, who are seeking to make race an irritant in our society, who are seeking to bring anarchy and instability and violence into our countries, who are seeking to destroy our authority, starting with the police. The media is playing along. The left-wing political parties are playing along. And I guess the Toronto Sun wasn't playing along, so they went after them. We're not playing along either here, the rebel, which is why our reporters get attacked and why the Toronto Sun gets attacked. But funny how the CBC never gets attacked, CNN never gets attacked. Don't ever believe the left when they say they're for peace and tolerance, just don't. Don't ever believe the left when they say they're against violence, just don't, they're not. And most importantly, don't ever believe the mainstream media. Wouldn't you say they're in on it too? Stay with us for more. Well, call it the curse of the rebels. So many of our alumni have been banned from things, even jailed. Lauren Southern banned from the United Kingdom. Faith Goldie attacked from Antifa, kicked off of PayPal. Tommy Robinson sent to jail, almost killed there, and now our fourth alumni, Gavin McInnes, has been summarily banned from Twitter as well. It's, I don't know, am, am I doing something? Uh, joining me now via Skype is our friend, Gavin McInnes, from his command post at CRTV. Gavin, nice to see you again. I'm surprised you're not in jail, given what's happened to the rest of our alumni. So there's, a, there's a lesson there. You leave the rebel, bad things happen to you. No, that's not the lesson. The lesson, all the white nationalists were right. They told me that you're a Zionist, you're controlling the shekels, and you're going to ruin my life. Every, everyone who goes near you is destroyed. It's you conniving with, the, with Zog to ruin lives, and we've had enough of it. We're joking around, a little bit of fun banter, but actually, I, I'm, and I'm in good spirits because it's always great to see you, and you're one of the, uh, my favorite people. But actually, I'm, I'm not in a, in a happy mood at all because you... I mean, in, in the same week they banned Alex Jones of Infowars, and they're banning and banning and banning. Um, they just deleted. How many followers did you have on Twitter? Hundreds of thousands, and they just deleted you. Two hundred sixty-one thousand. How much? Two hundred sixty-one thousand. Two hundred sixty-one. And what was the reason they gave? 
They weren't. They were totally ambiguous. In fact, the form they gave me, the email they gave me had no warnings. And it just said, you have been permanently suspended for, and then there's just a blank area. And then below that, it says, if you try to start a new account, it'll be banned. Man, man. But I, I, CRTV's lawyers, I think, spoke to Twitter's, and they said it's for condoning violence. And condoning violence to them is to be happy about defending yourself. It goes back to Rufio Panman, that's what we call him, uh, in Portland. After being attacked by a mob and whipped with a baton, he knocked the guy out and knocked a few other people out who were armed and attacking him and trying to kill him. And he had, was totally unarmed. So he said, wow, what a great punch. The punch word heard around the world. Alex Jones had him on. Alex Jones was banned. I had him on. I was banned. Rufio was banned. Every single Proud Boys account is banned. And it's because the only thing worse than fighting back against the alt-left is being happy that you won. You have to bend over and take it or else. So what you're saying is because you said you were pleased with someone who was attacked by the alt-left fighting back, you didn't punch anybody, you didn't call for any violence. The fact that someone defended themselves and won that was enough for a mass blackout on your part. By the way, I know that Hamas has a uh, Twitter, and the Muslim Brotherhood, the Ikhwan, they have Twitter feeds they have for years. Antifa has Twitter, and, and their business is violence. Uh, I guess you're worse than Hamas or Antifa, Gavin. Well, punch a Nazi doesn't mean punch a white nationalist who is working hard to create genocide in 2018. Punch a Nazi means beat up a Trump supporter, punch someone in a MAGA hat, which they do on a regular basis. We also have BLM talking about killing cops and cops dying. That's the other thing, too. There's just there's no evidence that us defending ourselves has ever hurt anyone who didn't deserve it, who wasn't already attacking us. But all these other groups do have body counts. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they the cops are getting killed. Islam, Islamists did murder people all over Canada mm -hmm. and America on a regular basis very recently. Yeah. We just had Danforth, uh, what, two weeks ago. Yeah. But that's different because that is right wing. Now, you mentioned CRTV's lawyers. CRTV is the company you work for now, and it's owned by a wealthy man who can afford things, including fighting. What about the prospects of you guys making a stand, even if it were to doomed in the end, to fight back like, say, James Damore, that Google engineer who was sacked because he wrote a memo uh, in good faith about gender diversity, he was fired. He's suing Google. And even if he doesn't win at the end, he's smoking out so many amazing internal documents. My thinking is, even if the Twitter terms of service, that's the contract with users like you and me, even if at the end of the day, Twitter wins and a court says, well, they weren't very nice about it, but they have the right to block anyone from their company. The process of smoking out their internal decisions and seeing who put them up to it. Let me throw you one more anecdote before you answer. Uh, there's a, a Muslim liberal from London named Majid Nawaz, a progressive Muslim who the, the SPLC, the Southern Poverty Law Center, accused him of terrible things. He sued them they settled for $3 million without even a trial, in my view, because they were terrified of all their internal processes coming to light. So would you consider suing Twitter even just for the documentary disclosure aspect? Absolutely. And, and one thing about that Muslim case, he was in Britain, and they have much better laws there when it comes to defamation. But 
here in America, suing Twitter is a massive uh, thing, and I'm definitely looking into it. We started talking to lawyers already, getting involved with that. That's like moving Mount St. Helen. But I, I, I'm going against all my Canadian instincts here because we're not a litigious people as Canucks. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I don't like the idea of, you know, getting involved in, in preventing businesses from doing something. But things have changed, and I am embracing lawfare. We are on a very small local scale. We started suing uh, places that kick us out for being proud boys, for wearing MAGA hats. In California, they have very strict laws about political bias and the service industry and refusing people service based on their politics. So we're suing that Griffin Bar that kicked out the proud boys. We're suing a company who fired a guy who was there that night. I, I am now embracing lawfare and that, that it doesn't just involve Google and Twitter and big things that take 10 years and hundreds of thousands of dollars. We're also doing it on a local level because people have to understand we're done with being victims. We're, as Tommy Robinson says, we're targets, not victims. Mm. And it's time to fight back. Did you know at the Griffin, that, that bar, they had a fundraiser the next day for the SPLC. Hmm. The SPLC on their own site candidly admits they have $430 million in the bank. <laughs> and this little bar in Atwater Village in LA is trying to raise another $300 to put on Scrooge McDuck's aisle. It's, things have gotten out of hand. And, and you know, you, you talked about all those people at the beginning of your show. The thing they have in common is not the Zionists, that's obviously a joke, but it is rebels. You know, it, just like the top, Tommy being the lion. We are the only ones who seem ready to fight. And it's sad that there isn't more of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, some, some of our alumni left in happier circumstances than others, but all of them have that rebel streak. They're challenging the establishment. I remember once upon a time that individual people, eccentric people, dissidents, were sort of looked upon with some admiration. They were individuals. Yeah. They had the courage of their convictions, especially in the UK, where the quirky eccentric was a staple of British life. And he was sort of celebrated for the fact that the society permits that. I don't think society permits quirky dissidents, e- even if they're occasionally wrong. I think we we smash down any nail that's sticking up too high with a hammer. Last word to you, Gavin. Look at Guy Fawkes in Britain. Guy Fawkes was a guy who tried to blow up the parliament buildings, the parliament, with big powder kegs. Uh, he was arrested for that, sentenced to death, I believe. And uh, the anarchists now, they wear, they don't even think they know this, but they wear the mask that is Guy Fawkes' face. They got it from the movie, but the movie got it from the actual guy, Guy Fawkes. Now, Tommy Robinson is an enemy of the state. He's Guy Fawkes. And they are sitting there with their Guy Fox masks saying, screw Tommy Robinson. So we've lost, in a sense, we've lost a lot of the propaganda war where the state has managed to brainwash your average rebellious teen into thinking it's rebellious to support more regulation and bigger government. But they're wrong. Rebels want less government. Rebels want more freedom. And I think young millennials, and especially black Americans, are slowly figuring that out. Hmm. Well, it's very interesting. It's nice to see you again, my friend, and I I hope you fight back against Twitter. Even if you eventually lose the lawsuit, the public good that will come from airing this issue, especially the high-handed way in which they made the decision to find out who is feeding them gossip and rumor and slander behind the scenes would, would expose so many other censorships. And by the way, They've gone after all our alumni that I've listed. I think it's only a matter of time before they come to us, the mothership, too. It wouldn't surprise me one bit. Without a doubt. Yeah. And then liberals are next. They have to understand here that this, the way that fascism works is 
It starts first, I, they came from Milo and I didn't speak up. And it keeps going and going until they are on the chopping block. The irony of all this is we're trying to create a world where they are safer. Yeah. <laughs> all right, there you have it. Gavin McInnes, now the host of Get Off My Long at CRTV.com. Nice to see you again. Thanks for joining your old buddies here at The Rebel. Cheers, Ezra. All right, see you later. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Absolutely terrifying cell phone video footage from Israel near the Hamas-controlled Gaza Strip. We were just in the town of Sterot, about 25,000 people, mere meters, or about a kilometer, I suppose, uh, from uh, the Hamas positions. And every once in a while, they fire over rockets, not at Israeli military installations, but rather at women and children, residential areas, as you saw there. In fact, the attacks have such little notice. You saw at least one rocket in the sky there that they really have 15 seconds from the time a launch is detected to run into a bomb shelter. Every bus shelter, every house, every public building has bomb shelters attached to it. Imagine living that way, deliberately, deliberately targeting civilians. But that is one horror. Another level of horror is the complicity of the international media that uh, manages to build a moral equivalence between the terrorist targeting deliberately of civilians, as those you just saw, and Israel's military response that is targeted at Hezbollah itself. Joining us now to talk about this is our friend Clifford May. He's the president of the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, and he joins us now from Washington. Cliff, nice to see you again. You too. This is not the first time we've seen it. Um, I, I think it's really uh, the defining characteristic of the wars against Israel. I think it's been a few decades since the Arab nations or terrorists thought they could militarily destroy Israel. Now their main weapon is Western public opinion in the hands of the BBC, the CBC, the New York Times. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, they've, listen, they've been trying in every way since 1948 to wipe Israel off the map. Uh, there's no question about that. The, the war in 48, the war in 1967, you can find quotes saying that this is a war. Uh, these are wars meant to exterminate the state of Israel. The thing is that the media have become over time, and it wasn't always this way, but over the last 20, 30 years, since 1967 perhaps, uh, increasingly anti-Israeli, uh, distorting the coverage egregiously and chronically, and I would say structurally as well, and I'll, I'll attempt to explain that as we go on, uh, but we've seen it very much in evidence in this last uh, these last months when you've had these so-called protests along the border between Israel and, and the Gaza Strip. Uh, 
almost everywhere you've seen misrepresentations of what's going on. Even in places like in New York, where you'd expect them to do better, they're just claiming that the Israelis are shooting peaceful protesters on the Gaza side of the border. It's simply not the case. It's simply not true. Um, but it's been repeated over and over again, and, and, and the media are, are just totally trying to ingratiate themselves with, with Hamas, and there's no price whatsoever to play pay for this anti-Israelism we see in so much of the, of the press. Here, let's take a look at one of those headlines in the BBC. We've got a couple. We've got a BBC one and a CNN one. So here's the BBC. Israeli airstrikes kill pregnant woman and baby. Now, that might be technically true, but to, to put that there in isolation and to elide the fact that Hamas targets women and children on purpose, Israel goes to great lengths not to target women and children. In fact, it sends automated text messages to, to hundreds of thousands of people outlining when and where attacks will be. They'll phone an entire uh, apartment block and say, get out, we're going to attack it. That's a subtle form of propaganda. Let's look at the CNN headline, and then I'd like you to remark on this. Israel and Hamas exchange fire in sudden Gaza escalation. And I, I think there's a moral equivalence as if both are legitimate entities and both are fighting in the same way. That's just not true, though, is it, Cliff? No, it's absolutely not true. Uh, the, the fighting has been provoked by Hamas, uh, which controls Gaza and controls Gaza and has completed since 2005 when the Israelis withdrew. They withdrew every soldier, they withdrew every farm, they withdrew every synagogue, they withdrew every cemetery, uh, every corpse. They got out of there entirely and said, okay, you say this is occupied territory, you want it, we'll give it to you, let's see what you do with it before we withdraw from any other territory. They could have made it into a Singapore, um, a Hong Kong, they decided not to, they used it instead as a platform all that time to attack Israel, uh, starting with uh, using missiles, um, because Israel developed Iron Dome, that's been hard to, do, to, to succeed at, but the missiles continue to fly. Uh, then they began to dig terrorist tunnels. The idea was to send terrorists into Israel to kill uh, randomly and to take hostages and drag them into these tunnels to take them back. Uh, that really precipitated the war in 2014 against Hamas. This goes on all the time. The BBC headline you mentioned, I, did, I do think they eventually, after complaints, took it down. But the fact that they, that was their initial response that reveals a lot. And the second headline was better, though not perfect. The CNN headline absolutely is meant to give the illusion of moral equivalence, as if it's all tit for tat, as if these things just happen, as if it is not Hamas trying to precipitate a conflict and doing that every day and pushing terrorists across uh, what is essentially an international border. There are no international borders with the West Bank, but there are with Gaza because Israel withdrew and gave up any claims it might have had to, to Gaza. This is part of the, the prejudice that we, that we see in the media on a, on a daily basis uh, over and over again. You know, I mentioned um, Israel actually gives notifications in advance. I think we have uh, some imagery to, to show that if we can... Uh, uh, um, so, oh, sorry, pardon me. Uh, Israel does send a notice to the Palestinian side. The, the visual image we have here are the alerts the Israeli citizens. Have. Imagine having an app 
cliff. You have an app on your cell phone indicating when rockets are coming into steroids. Sorry, I, I, uh, I thought the image we had was of the text message. So it, it's ironic, Israel provides uh, text message alerts both ways. It alerts citizens who have an app on their phone that rockets are incoming from Hamas, but it actually alerts Palestinians too before they attack there. Um, I want to show one more. Sorry, go ahead, Cliff. They do this in many ways. In fact, it is a simple fact that no army in the history of this planet has ever taken the steps that Israel takes to avoid collateral damages and, 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 and it tries. And it is impossible to do entirely because Hamas uses civilians routinely as human shields, puts them, pushes them out in front of their terrorists, puts them in buildings they know the Israelis are going to destroy in retaliation for Hamas attacks. The Israelis use their phones and call people and say, get out of that building. They knock on the roof, as it's called. That is, they drop dummy bombs so that people can hear we're going to attack this building. They go to extraordinary lengths. No other army does that. They don't get much credit for that uh, in the international media. Well, the Western media loves their narrative and they'll do anything to stick with it. Here's an image um, of a poor, poor Palestinian girl who was obviously murdered um, by Israelis. At least that's the spin here by Abdullah Al-Asfin. This baby, Bayan Abu Kamash, two years old, was killed last night along with her pregnant mother when an Israeli rocket hit their house in Gaza Strip town of Del Elbala. Very, very pretty girl, heartbreaking, absolutely sad, um, and massively shared on social media. The trouble is, it's fake. Um, that picture was just stolen from someone's Instagram account. That's Ellie Lively McBroom just having a happy birthday picture. Uh, critics call this Pallywood. It's a kind right. of propaganda where they just took a pretty girl. Now, I don't know if a real two-year-old girl was killed in the Gaza Strip. We just don't know. What we do know is that in this case, it was Pallywood, that's a propaganda, taking just some Instagram picture of some American girl and saying, look at this sad, sad case. I'm sure there are sad cases, by the way, but I, I think anyone who would take at face value uh, Hamas propaganda, even if it's retailed by the CBC or the BBC, is probably kidding themselves. Go ahead, Cliff. The, the media tend to be determinedly credulous about such Hollywood dramas. Um, and they don't look into the fact that when civilians are killed, it's because Hamas has provoked a conflict and used innocent civilians as human shields. All that's going on. You have the media also going to Hamas and saying, well, tell us about the casualties you've had. And they get absolutely made up numbers of civilian casualties that they simply accept, well, that's our source. Uh, you can believe it or not believe it. We're going to report it as if it's a real source, even though it's not. Uh, part of what's going on is, you know, you, the, the journalists in this part of the world, they base themselves not in Gaza, well, almost entirely, they base themselves in Israel. They can do what they, they can slander Israel. And the worst that happens is they will get a, a phone call and a tongue lashing, or maybe when they go out to drinks with a government official, they'll find the government official in a bad humor. But what they know most important is if they want to go to Gaza, their reports will have been scrutinized by Hamas. And if they've said things that Hamas doesn't like, their freedom will be in danger and their lives will be in danger. And they tend to do what they have to do to ingratiate themselves with Hamas. Almost everybody, any journalist who goes to Gaza has a fixer and the fixers all work for Hamas. They, they report to Hamas. We know all this. Mati Friedman is an Israeli journalist 
who has written about this quite quite well in a number of places he worked for AP. Most journalists don't want to talk about it because they don't want their editors or their readers to believe that their reports are not uh, fair and balanced, uh, are not written without uh, fear or favor, because they are actually written with a great deal of fear and favor. And sometimes they don't want to admit that to, that to themselves either. So they simply insist, no, I'm doing, uh, I'm reporting what I see and what I hear, and this is good, solid reporting, and I'm a good, solid reporter. But the reporting, particularly out of Gaza, is, is, is none of the other. Yeah. Well, it's very interesting, and it's worth keeping in mind, even when we see news that has been filtered through the BBC, CBC, CNN, I think it's safe to say that if it's coming from the Gaza Strip, it is propaganda by definition. Clifford May, great to see you again. Thanks for spending the time with us. Thank you, as well. All right, there you have it, Clifford May. He's the president of the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, and he joined us today from Washington. Stay with us. More Head on the Rebel. Hey, welcome back on my monologue on Friday about a training camp for school shooters that was discovered in the New Mexico desert. Liza writes, did this training camp have graduates? Any connections to recent school shootings? Would they tell us if they knew? Not likely. You know, I found out just even more crazy things about that after I recorded that. Um, <laughs> that uh, Muslim uh, Siraj Wahaj was his name, son of Siraj Wahaj, the, the um, World Trade Center attack plotter. When he was there at that camp in the desert, he wasn't just there, him and 11 kids. He was there with a bunch of women, including his polygamous wives, plural. How can you write a story for the CBC and omit that? Oh my God, you're right though. I, I don't think that it graduated shooters who went on to shoot, but how would I know if the CBC and the rest of the mainstream media won't tell me? How would I possibly know if I didn't go down there myself to check it out? Ted writes, Trump was right. The traitor media are the enemy of the people. They hide vital information, obfuscate it, and cover it up. I have to say there is truth there. I understand being an advocacy journalist. That's what I am. I, I mean, I report the facts, and I say, here are the facts, and I tell you my point of view, and sometimes we get activists about it. You bet. But the CBC, CNN, NBC, Associated Press, New York Times, Globe and Mail, they all claim just to be straight shooters. They're not. They're not. How can you write about a Muslim plotter's son running a school shooter's academy training camp and not mention those facts. Oh my God. On my interview with John Gormley about the plan to remove the statue of Sir Johnny MacDonald in Victoria, BC, Lance writes, it's not about natives. It's about tearing down our capitalist democracy and they're just using natives and other groups to assist them in their goal. Well, you mentioned capitalism and you mentioned democracy. I, I, I mean, I don't really think it's about capitalism, although there is a property rights angle to it. And democracy, I suppose, but I think it's more about our history and our culture and our identity and our morality. And they're trying to call us all racist. And we're not. We're simply not. And by the way, once you fire that starter pistol, it just doesn't stop. Once you let that can of worms open, they don't stop. I was, uh, I just came across it yesterday, an executive order of some sort by uh, Wilfrid Laurier, the great liberal prime minister on our $5 bill. He wasn't taken off yet like Trudeau took 
McDonald off the $10 bill. Laurier, if I, I better check the latest uh, banknotes, but I think he's still on the five. Um, he signed an executive order banning Negroes from immigrating to Canada. But uh, I think it was in 1911 he signed that. So John A. Macdonald actually, I don't know if you know this, was the first to give aboriginals the right to vote. And John Diefenbaker, with his Bill of Rights in 1960, expanded that right. Wilfrid Laurier, the liberal, took away many of those rights and brought in a ban on black immigration. I guess my point is if you start to use the lens of progressive politics today to eradicate your history, it's not going to stop with your conservative enemy, John A. MacDonald, who happened to be more tolerant than the liberals, by the way. It'll take in Tommy Douglas, who said that homosexuals need to be treated by psychiatrists. It'll take out Pierre Trudeau, who famously punched his wife so hard he gave her a black eye. There's no end to the historical revisionism that comes into play with this movement, and the left has unleashed a monster they will not control. Well, folks, that's my show for today. What do you think about my opening statement about Antifa violence? It felt like a bit of a ramble. I was talking about Toronto. I was talking about the sun and the rebel in the States, but I think that there's something out there. I think this street violence, I don't believe it's organic. I don't believe it's authentic or natural. I believe it is all orchestrated, paid for, and organized. And I think that we are not being told all the truth of it. That's my view. What do you think? I'm sure you'll let me know. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, good night. And keep fighting for freedom.